All right, uh, I wanted to briefly hit on this before I jump into the service. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which began the season of Lent, um, which represents the lengthening of days. So we're entering spring and we're about to spring forward with our time, our clocks. Uh, and it's a season where we set our eyes towards Good Friday and Easter. So during Lent, we seek uh, the Lord in prayer and reading scripture more frequently. We serve by giving to the poor our money, our time, or talents, whatever we're able uh, to give. And we practice self-control through fasting. Lent is also a season where we intentionally abstain from some type of luxury. Uh, and part of why we do that is because we want to try to participate in some way with the suffering that Christ suffered for us. And we know that there's no matter of fasting or no amount of abstinence that could ever compare to the suffering that Christ went through for us. But by taking a step of setting something aside, we can remind ourselves regularly of what Christ suffered for us. So for example, for me, I'm setting aside all forms of entertainment that don't have directly to do with the kingdom of God. So where normally I'd maybe read a novel for fun, I'm only gonna read the Bible or a book about the Bible. So I'm shifting my focus. So every time I think, oh, I want to watch this or oh, I want to read this, my mind immediately turns towards Christ and I am reminded of what he's done for me. So that's kind of the heart behind this season. Um, so I encourage you to take some time and pray and see if maybe the Lord wants you to turn off Instagram for 40 days or um, something in your life that is a regular part that you would consider a luxury that isn't going to like cost you something significant as far as like death, like don't stop drinking water, but maybe just a normal regular part of your routine that you'll be reminded of Jesus every time you flip open your phone and go to press the button. So that's our goal is we aim towards deeper conversion of the heart as we shift to follow Christ more faithfully in this season. So it's a beautiful thing. I encourage you all um, to think about it. And if you haven't ever researched uh, Lent, uh, now is a good time. Um, it's a beautiful uh, ancient practice uh, that's a part of the Christian faith. And we don't wanna miss out on the things that God is inviting us into. All right, kingdom versus culture. Uh, we are entering into our third part in a series uh, that we are doing called Kingdom Versus Culture, uh, where we wanna talk about the kingdom thing, the kingdom principle versus what the culture is saying or what the culture runs after. And today we're gonna talk about eternal things versus the temporal things. So temporal, this is kind of just a, a definition that I've got pertaining to this life, this world, or the body only, secular, things that don't have to do with God, a temporal concerns, temporal affairs. Uh, we're about to jump into, uh, similar to the first sermon that I did on hunger versus apathy, I kind of went through some different statistics. Uh, so I've grabbed some statistics for us to jump through uh, on mammon uh, or the spirit of mammon in our culture. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education. The average size of an American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years. And still, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage, the fastest growing segment of commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. While 25% of people who, with two-car garages don't have room to park their cars inside of them, and 32% only have room for one, the United States has upward of 50,000 storage facilities. And currently there is 7.3 square feet of self-storage space for every man, woman, and child in the nation. That means that every single person in the United States of America could all stand under the same roofing of just storage facilities 
and have room to move around. British research found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but plays with just 12 daily. of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. The average American woman owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. In 1930, that figure was nine. Women will spend more than eight years of their lives shopping. Don't get mad at me. They put that there, okay? (laughs) Nearly half of American households don't save any money but our homes have more television sets than people, and those television sets are turned on more than a third of the day, eight hours and 14 minutes. Some, pe- some reports indicate that we consume twice as many material goods as we did just 50 years ago. Shopping malls outnumber our high schools. Over the course of our lifetime, we will spend a total of 3,680 hours or 153 days searching for misplaced items. <laughs> Research found that we lose nine items uh, uh, every day, and generally that would be your phone, your keys, your sunglasses, constantly misplacing them. And then the last one, Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. In other words, things that you and I do not actually need. That's a lot of money. All right, let's get to some Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. Set not our eyes on that which is temporary, but set our gaze towards that which is eternal. Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember uh, as a young man pursuing the Lord, I came across this passage and I was kind of confused by it because I don't really care much about like treasure. I'm not really interested. I'm like, God, like serving you, I don't really care to end up with some like rubies or emeralds in a room when I get to heaven. That doesn't really matter to me. What do you mean when you say storing up treasure? Like the only thing I really hope that I'm storing up is a lot of coffee. And that's about it. Like that's my favorite thing that I have here that's temporary, but it's so good it might be eternal. Not sure. (laughs) And as I began to ask him about it, I felt him tell me that what I am storing up, the treasure that I am storing up is the people that I come in contact with along the way. Because the only other eternal thing in the temporary world is the people sitting next to you. And it began to shift the way that I viewed the gospel, it began to shift the way that I would see how to live unto eternity. Because no longer did I care to invest in that which is temporary, but in the people that I came across. And 
in the rich young ruler passage, um, which I have there at the bottom, we have the story where this man comes to Jesus and he says, I've followed everything. I followed the law, I haven't broken it. I'm following what the book says I'm supposed to do. What do I need to do in order to attain eternal life? And he says, go and sell everything that you have. And the man leaves sad. And what Jesus was getting at is we're told that the man had a lot of wealth, but actually the wealth had the man. The things had him more than he had them. And in order for him to take hold of Christ, he had to set aside, he had to give up the wealth that so held him. And that's what we're talking about this morning. There are some things that are holding us that God wants us to set before him this morning so that we can take a hold of the eternal thing and not be held captive by the things that are temporary. And this first portion of this echoes that first passage that I read from 2 Corinthians. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What are we gazing at? What are we allowing into us? How much temporary satisfaction do we seek versus what is eternal? What are we setting our eyes on? Is it that which is seen or unseen? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, material things or possessions. Is there anything that has a hold of you or a hold of me that God wants us to let go of this morning? I'm gonna read um, a few quotes um, today. Um, and what I have found uh, as a young man following the Lord is that oftentimes I am contemplating and thinking and wrestling through things, but struggle to put words to things. And when I study people who are 20 or 30 years ahead who have, or who have already gone to be with the Lord, many of them are able, able to articulate the things that I am wrestling with better than I can because they're ahead of me. And so I'll be searching for answers or I'll be wrestling with God and maybe in my head, I know what I'm thinking or talking about, but they're able to put into words better than I am. And so as a form of honoring them, I'm using their quotes this morning, but also to encourage you, if you can't find words for the things that you're feeling, read some books from people who have already gone to be with the Lord that you know finished the race well. Search for someone in the older generation who can pour into your life. Don't be afraid to walk up and say, hey, you're further along than me, I need your help. It's important. We're generational investment, generational inheritance. This is not an individual race. We run the marathon together. Also, this quote is a banger. So please take a picture of it, meditate on it, think about it. It is so good. I have been thinking about this so much this week. Between temporal and eternal things, there is this difference. A temporal thing is loved more before we have it. And it begins to grow worthless when we gain it, for it does not satisfy the soul whose true and certain rest is eternity. But the eternal is more ardently loved when it is acquired than when it is merely desired. It's <laughs> so good. I love it. That's like 1,500 years old. 
And he's speaking straight into our hearts about the reality of how things are. And it feels like, sorry, I love it. So good. This is uh, Susanna Wesley, which is the mother of the Wesley brothers that we are so fond of. Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in itself. See, there are things that might be a sin for you and not a sin for me, because those things don't capture me the way they capture you. So this isn't a game where we're all trying to play on the same field with the same rules. There are some standards that we are all called to live by, but there are also some things that have you and I captive that are not the same. And if any of those things are increasing the authority of the flesh in your life over the spirit, it's a sin. And it's something that we should bring to the Lord. There's a Puritan saying uh, that I love, the deadening effects of innocent delights. What are those things that slowly numb us to the kingdom of God? What is Satan whispering in your ear regularly? How is he shifting your gaze and shifting your focus by the numbing of TV or the loud noise of the world when there's only one voice that should hold us captive? And as C.S. Lewis so brilliantly said, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. All right, let's get to some eternal things. All things that relate to and invest in the eternal kingdom of God. It's a definition that I created. Someone else probably said it before me. Most of what I know comes from other people. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Friends, we're not from here. This isn't our earth. We're not staying. We come from a different kingdom. We are foreigners and exiles sent here to be beacons of light in a place of darkness. Why does it surprise us when sinful people do sinful things? I am so confused when Christians get outraged when the people that I expect to do the bad thing do the bad thing. They don't have light. They don't understand. They're not foreigners and exiles in a foreign land. It's my expectation that the world is like the world. And if you and I don't insert ourselves into dark places and become beacons of light, it's gonna stay that way. We are not from here. We are bringing a message, good news, of the kingdom of God to a dark place. Therefore, since we are foreigners and exiles, we should be preparing our minds for action being sober-minded, setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, we should not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who called you and I is holy, you and I should be holy in all of our conduct. We should be different. We should be other. We should be separate, set apart for a different plan, a different purpose, a different call, because we are foreigners and exiles that have calling, plan, and purpose wherever the Lord has placed you. 
the kingdom of God. So we're talking about eternal things. And ultimately that is specifically talking about the kingdom of God for things that um, we would most easily relate to. So the concept of the kingdom of God is not primarily one of space, territory, or politics as in a national kingdom. Although we know in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he will establish a kingdom. But for right now, we don't just like head to somewhere random in Turkey and go, this is the place, this is the kingdom. It's like wherever we are, the kingdom of God is, right? Because we have him within us. So instead, it is one of kingly rule, reign, and sovereign control. The kingdom of God is a realm where God reigns supreme. Jesus Christ is king. And in this kingdom, God's authority is recognized and his will is obeyed. I've simplified it into this phrase, God's people in God's place under God's rule. We, God's people, wherever God has us are in God's place for us and we are under his rule. When you and I said yes to Jesus, we didn't say hell sounds better or worse than heaven. That wasn't the goal. If your choice for Jesus was like, heaven sounds a little bit better, might prefer to be there. You missed kind of the purpose. What we are saying when we are giving our lives to Jesus is we are saying, I recognize you as King, as Lord in my life. I'm recognizing your authority as the king and I am submitting, I am surrendering to your rule and reign, which means what you say, I therefore obey. It means we stop biting the fruit in the garden. No longer do you and I define what is right and wrong or good and evil. God alone does. And we begin to set our life according to his rule and reign, his authority, what he says is right. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. I wanna talk a little bit about reigning, participation in the kingdom of God. I've separated it into kind of two specific things for us this morning. So we have personal reigning, as I would call it. We reign over our sinful desires by bringing our minds, wills, and emotions into submission to Jesus by the power of the Spirit through his word. So before we go out into the world, we have a responsibility to personally reign over ourselves, to set our minds, our wills, our emotions in check with what God says it should look like, what it should be like. And we seek to pattern our lives and the way that we live in order to help us gain control over that. Our first job and responsibility is personal reigning. This is a lot of what Jubilee is about for us. It's not about what we are doing for God. It is about being with God first. And we are seeking to be transformed at a deep, personal, intimate level before we try to plan and prepare to do all of the things for God. That's not the primary thing. He wants you and he wants me. He's not interested in saying, I never knew you. He's primarily interested in, I very much knew you. And then he will send us. So this season is about us getting before the Lord 
and shifting our minds, our wills, our emotions, our affection toward the Lord first. And to learn to reign well personally and privately so that when we get in public, we no longer look like the world. I'm pretty tired of watching Christians fail on public platforms. And that, my friend, is because they suck at personal reigning. (laughs) That is our primary call. If you don't have that in order, do not stand in a pulpit. I'm a young man and I am not here to sacrifice my wife and kids in honor of ministry. That's rubbish. And you should not be sacrificing your family on the altar of your job or whatever it is to you. There is more for us and we do not have to bow to what culture says we should be bowing to. We are foreigners and exiles like Daniel and we will not bow to their altars, to their idols. Amen. So once we have our public reigning in order or our private reigning, personal reigning in order, we shift then to the public reigning. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. This is the Shema. Every good practicing Israelite Jewish person has this, the Shema, written and set on a door in a, next to their door in a scroll. And this is when the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, what is the greatest commandment? What are we supposed to do? And in that first portion, it's, he says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What greater love is there than going and making disciples, than baptizing them into new life, than teaching them how to personally reign in their own life so that they then can go and serve the Lord where he has called them to be. The reason why this is so important is because not everyone is called to be a pastor. All of you are called to the place where God has put you. And your job is to bring the kingdom of God where this sermon will never go. There are people that will never enter this building unless you and your places of work take the kingdom there and seek to make disciples where you're at. This is not a Christian pastoral, what we do here thing. This is a, we preach, we proclaim, we teach, we instruct so that you can go out to where the Lord has called you to publicly reign and bring the kingdom there. That is the purpose of the body of Christ. I feel like so much of what Christian culture has become in the popular streams is looking at these public figures that most likely if they would have started ministry 10 years later would have just been content creators. Anytime we find someone who is charismatic or gifted at talking, we're like, let's just push them in a pulpit because they talk well. When really maybe God was calling some of them to be a light and darkness in Hollywood, but because we just thought that they were gifted at talking, we threw them in a pulpit. 
And then ultimately that's not where God had called them, but we kept telling people that that's where they were supposed to be. And that led to them failing because they weren't in a place where God's grace was. There is a plan and purpose for where God has you in your place of work. And it is your job and your responsibility to sit with the Lord and ask him how he would have you publicly reign in those places, how he would have you shape your personal reigning, your personal life and relationship with him in order that you have deep impact so that when you walk into the room, your face is shining differently because you have a different spirit within you than what they have. It's important. A few more quotes for us. The kingdom of God, life, is not a matter of waking up each morning with a list of chores or an agenda to be tended to, left on our bedside tables by the Holy Spirit for us while we slept. We wake up already immersed in a large story of creation and covenant of Israel and Jesus, the story of Jesus and the stories that Jesus told. We let ourselves be formed by these formative stories. And especially as we listen to the stories that Jesus tells, get a feel for the way he does it, the way he talks, the way he treats people, the Jesus way. This encompasses, you could say, both the private personal reigning and also the public. But to me, this is very much our personal reigning where we sit with the Lord and we read and we reread and we ask questions and we seek and we knock and we become the types of people who more naturally turn to people of love rather than to people of self-interest. We seek to be formed into the image of Jesus by seeing the way that he did it. And from that place, we get quotes like this, Heidi Baker, but God's love is big enough to touch any life to make light out of any darkness. Jesus came that we might have life so that no more would we have to die in depression, anger, or pain. He loved people back to life. He would go anywhere, talk to anyone. And wherever he went, he would stop for the one, the forgotten one, the one who was rejected, outcast, sick, and even stone dead. Even a thief who was dying for his crimes on the cross next to him. The kingdom of God's love, there is no sinner who cannot come home. We shift from our personal reigning with the higher call to reach out and store up eternal treasures with the people that we come in contact with. If that doesn't get you excited for evangelistic work, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It is so exciting to partner with God doing his work. Leslie Newbegin, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes the question for which the gospel is the answer. Ooh, that's a good one. Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes the question for which the gospel is the answer. Are you and I living in such a way that when people see us, they can't help but ask, what is that? <laughs> so good. All right. Um, as we kind of come to a close, I want to talk about um, the Asbury revival a little bit. Um, I've seen a lot of people say a lot of things over the last few weeks. And personally, as a young man, I am working on trying to say less and listen more. And so I haven't really said anything and I've sat and listened for the last few weeks. 
And at this stage of my apprenticeship to Jesus, there's about five voices that I let speak into my life regularly, and that is it. And if I listen to something other than that, it is someone sent me something to listen to. So I've chosen the voices that I'm allowing to speak into my life. And so some of these people have spoken about it, and I've sat and listened and talked to eyewitness people who have actually been there and said some things. And I created this list of things for what I have seen to be much of what is about. And what I wanna say, friends, is it's exactly how I thought that he would come. A lot of people want the flashing lights and the big stuff, but like, I remember how Jesus of Nazareth came. And the Prince of Peace came for a generation experiencing anxiety. And the Trinitarian in and of himself is love, belonging, unity, created a deep sense of belonging in a generation that has felt so isolated and lonely. And you mean to tell me that the humble servant king who chose to come not to be served, but to serve, landed at a place where there's humble leadership for a generation who is sick of narcissistic leadership and elder abuse. Can you name any of the leaders behind the Asbury revival? There's a few people in this room that could probably name a couple. Their names aren't anywhere. They're not interested in glory and fame. The one who deserves it all is getting it. He didn't show up at the mega church. He didn't show up in the place where we thought he might. He did exactly what I thought he would. He showed up where humble leaders who could actually hold what he was trying to do were in charge of stuff. And he showed up at a stripped back place where they're on all the lights, they're on all the cameras for a generation that is saturated with social media and overloaded with sensory things. Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? He came exactly how I thought he would. Exactly how I thought he would. Pete Grigg, who, or Greg, who I got this quote from, is someone that I've grown to uh, love a lot the last six months. We heard him at a conference uh, this past year. Um, and if you don't know who he is, he's essentially like the Mike Bickle of Europe, kind of started their 24-7 prayer movement around almost the exact same time. Uh, and I was listening to him in a podcast, and so I kind of took some things that he um, was talking about and put it here. If you believe that revival is like a shot in the arm that happens once in a while that you aspire to, then you must protect it at all costs and mustn't let it stop. But if you believe that revival is a return to normal Christianity, a return to what you see as normal for Jesus and his disciples, then a revival isn't abnormal, but a return to normal. You can take a day of rest and do your chores and live your life while contending and living the life you are invited to live in the kingdom of God. You see, friends, nothing is happening at Asbury that I don't experience in my daily life with Jesus. He's omnipresent, he's always here. And I'm not gonna deny that there are times and places where his presence is more tangible and he pours out more in a specific place in a way that you can only encounter in certain times, like he is doing in that specific spot in Asbury. But there's not a single thing that someone has said is happening at Asbury that is not a normal part of my everyday relationship with the Jesus I know. I experience deep sense of belonging every day in relationship with him. I'm not interested in being a prideful leader. I want to be humble. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to be someone that he can work through in a humble way. I don't care if my name goes anywhere. 
That's not why I'm up here. I'm here to proclaim his word and see that he is made known, right? And I don't need the flashing lights or all the things. I think that they are a blessing. I love that I can use a PowerPoint and put it on a screen, but I'm gonna proclaim his name with the lights off. It doesn't matter to me. It's not why I'm here. I will use the tools that God gives me to bring ultimate glory to his name to the best of my ability, but it is not necessary. There's one thing that I have felt the Lord say regularly to me in this season. There are times when he is nearer and it is important for us in those times not to miss it. And I've felt him say this to me, the words of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Friends, let's not miss what he's doing right now in our days because we have stuff in our lives that is keeping us from him. That isn't our whole heart in his hands. It's not just, don't give him a couple chambers of your heart. He wants all of it. He wants whole life. He wants you to submit your mind, your will, your emotions. He wants to take your finances. He wants to take your addiction to pornography or to drinking or to whatever it is. If you are binging alcohol, that is the same as binging Netflix if you're just escaping from something. He wants those things so that he can begin to heal you and I. And there are some things that have been blocking our connection with him. And we do not wanna miss him while he is nearer in this season. So if our teams um, will go ahead and come up, um, we'll have some prayer teams for you all this morning. Um, and the primary call I feel like for us this morning is that there's some things that we need to repent of, no matter how big or small. And today is a day to get right with God, but also to get right with people in this room. If there is someone that you're offended with or that you have unforgiveness toward that's in this room, today is the day to change that, to go to them and begin the process of healing and redemption and restoration. But it's also a day that if there is tension between your marriage, today is a day to sit with your spouse and to begin to confess some things that you know you should confess. Because God wants to draw near to us this morning, friends. And we do not want things to separate us from what God wants us to be a part of because we're too prideful to walk before him with the stuff that he already paid for and give it to him so that he can give us something better. Um, and as we go into this time, um, there was one thing that as I was praying uh, on Tuesday morning um, that I felt like the Lord said he wanted to do this morning. Um, I felt like he wanted to heal um, some barren wombs from women who haven't been able to get pregnant. Um, and so if that's you this morning, um, I would just encourage you to over in this corner um, near where the little exit door is um, to go over there. And if you are currently pregnant or have given birth to a baby in the last year or so, um, or just feel like you wanna pray um, for uh, whoever comes over there, uh, I really would just encourage you all to do that. I feel like the Lord wants to heal um, some barren wombs this morning. Um, and Sarah Kepin, I think I saw you over there. Um, I felt like the Lord kind of wanted you to lead that. Um, so if you uh, would be willing, that would be awesome. Uh, thank you. Um, so we're just go, gonna go into um, a time uh, of just seeking after the Lord, whether you need to come sit um, here and lay down before the Lord on some of these cushions or whether you need personal prayer from one of our teams. Today is a day to draw near to him and to hand him things that we should have handed him a long time ago. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near.